everyone, and welcome to Litigation Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scriven-Young. I'm a commercial and environmental litigator in the Chicago office of Bakar & Abramson, which is recognized as the largest law firm serving the construction industry with 115 lawyers and 10 offices around the U.S. On this show, we talk to the country's top litigators and judges to discover best practices in developing our careers, winning cases, getting clients, and building a sustainable practice. This podcast is brought to you by the litigation section of the American Bar Association. The litigation section provides litigators of all practice areas the resources we need to be successful advocates for our clients. Learn more at ambar.org litigation. For many years now, the legal press has reported that attorneys and law firm staff struggle with depression and substance abuse. And according to a recent survey conducted by the American Lawyer, the pandemic has made our mental health problems even worse. The survey showed that 37% of respondents said they felt depressed in 2020, an uptick of nearly six percentage points from 2019. 71% that they have experienced anxiety, up seven percentage points, and 14% that they felt that they had a mental illness, up a little more than two percentage points. To combat this problem, the ABA Litigation Section's Mental Health and Wellness Task Force has written articles and books, presented CLE programs, and made policy suggestions to help litigators successfully manage any mental health issues that may arise. You can learn more about the task force by going to the section's website, ambar.org litigation, and scrolling down to the link for the task force. One of those books providing helpful tips in this area that the section of litigation offers is The Trial Lawyer's Guide to Success and Happiness, which was written by Lawrence Rosenberg, David Soley, and Dr. Deborah Topol. On today's episode, Mr. Rosenberg and his wife, Dr. Topol, will discuss their book and give us information on how litigators can successfully manage stressful situations in our practices. So let me introduce today's guests. Larry Rosenberg is a partner with Jones Day in Washington, D.C., and has tried cases to verdict and argued appeals throughout the country, including serving as lead counsel in numerous matters in the United States Supreme Court. Larry is an adjunct professor at the West Virginia University College of Law and directs its Supreme Court Litigation Clinic. He is a longtime leader within the ABA litigation section, having chaired several committees and conferences. Prior to joining Jones Day, Larry served for five years as a trial attorney in the Attorney General's Honor Program at the United States Department of Justice. He previously served as a law clerk to Judge Jane R. Roth of the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. He is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania Law School and Cornell University. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you. Great to be here. Dr. Deborah Topol is an Associate Dean for Medical Education at the Georgetown University School of Medicine and is Medical Student Clerkship Director, Associate Director of the Medical Residency Program in Internal Medicine, and a member of the Section of General Internal Medicine at MedStar Washington Hospital Center. Deborah coordinates and moderates the Medical Student Grand Rounds Program at Georgetown, supervises the medical education of medical students and internal medicine residents at the Washington Hospital Center, and sees private and clinic patients. She is a BA from the University of Pennsylvania and an MD from the University of Maryland School of Medicine. She is also board certified in internal medicine. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, great. Well, let's start with the book. Larry, I wonder if you could tell our audience, why did you write the book, The Trial Lawyer's Guide to Success and Happiness? Well, this was a collaborative effort with Deborah, of course, and our friend David Soley. We wanted to do something that could help trial lawyers in particular with work-life balance issues, both to understand sort of the medicine that's behind some of the stress and 
issues that challenge health and try to suggest ways to improve their lives, doing some of the things that we've sort of tried to do in our own lives to make things a little bit better and easier and less stressful. Well, it's interesting you talk about the medicine behind stress because it's not something I think is well known. I think people think, you know, stress is bad. And so curious, uh, Dr. Topol, if you could tell us, you know, what does stress do to the body and is stress always bad? Right. So our body has a stress response and an acute stress response is actually adaptive. So we have a sympathetic response and a parasympathetic response. And the sympathetic response is our stress response. And that is what helps us and keeps us safe evolutionary so we can run from danger. So if we were out and we were being attacked by a bear, we could be able to have a fast heart rate. We could run, we could move, we could move quickly and get through a stressful situation and survive. So the stress response initially is helpful in our survival. However, the issue becomes when we are living in a prolonged state of stress and we're not just running from that bear and then calming down and going about our daily lives, but when we live in a sustained state of stress with a rapid heart rate, tense muscles, slow digestion, we are continuously releasing adrenaline our adrenal system is releasing cortisol. And then what happens then in a prolonged state of distress response, this can lead to medical problems such as high blood pressure, such as a prolonged rapid heart rate, stomach problems, gastrointestinal problems, headaches, and feeling of sadness and despair. So the stress itself can actually be adaptive if we're in an acute survival situation, but living in prolonged survival mode is not good for us or particularly healthy. Well, and, and speaking of you know prolonged stress. Lawyers, especially litigators, have that on a daily basis and, you know, obviously during trial or an appellate court argument. Deborah, I, I wonder in your practice, have you seen health problems in lawyers specifically related to continual stress? Absolutely. I mean, what we see, we see a lot of problems in people in continuous stress. I, I tend to see more doctors in continuous stress, but it's it's similar things in terms of what we're seeing and how it can present to us is headache, poor sleep, high blood pressure, and then high blood pressure will lead to heart disease. And then we have, I think we'll get into later what people are doing in response to stress, which are maladaptive coping strategies. Are people then drinking more alcohol in response to the stress? Are they exercising less because they feel like they don't have time? Are they not having time to eat proper food? So then we're seeing as a result of stress and as a result on how crunch people are feeling with their time, are they then making less optimal lifestyle choices, which then makes their whole medical situation worse? Interesting. And Larry, I know you have obviously been in, in these stressful situations on trial, arguing cases before the Supreme Court. Why is it especially important for litigators to learn how to appropriately manage their stress? I think it's particularly important because so much of what we do creates those stressful situations. Certainly, as most trial lawyers will tell you, in some ways, preparing for trial and going to trial is a good experience. It's exciting. 
your heart rate does go up, your adrenaline is flowing, you're feeling sort of that rush as you perform and prepare to perform, but you are in that long-term constant state of stress, at least while you're at trial, preparing for trial, or similarly uh, doing an oral argument. And so it's critical that you learn how to manage the stressful situations so that you can channel your stress productively and not go down the path to unhealthy conduct, poor lifestyle choices, substance abuse, or really wrecking your family and friend life, which unfortunately does happen all too often to litigators. So it's really a critical thing for litigators to master. In some ways, it's like peak athletes. They perform best when they're under that that pressure of competition. Uh, But if they don't learn how to channel it, not only don't they perform at their optimal level, but their personal life can be a bit of a wreck. And so it's critical for litigators to learn about this and to learn skills to cope with the high states of stress that we're often in. Yeah, I don't know about you, but for me, it's often the preparation time that actually, for me, may be more stressful or at least as stressful as going through the trial or going through the argument because you're always wondering, you know, what's going to happen if the judge rules this way or, or what's going to happen if, if a witness says something else. And so it's actually the the preparation as well as the actual moment of trial that, that to me at least, seems um, just as stressful. I don't know if you've had similar experiences. I have, and I've had a situations at trial, for example, where I'm preparing a witness an important witness the night before, and the witness seems to have a slightly different view of events than he or she might have had when we prepared earlier. And the newer version of events that's being discussed in preparation is not particularly favorable to the case. And so trying to deal with that and, you know, prepare the witness in a way that's that's appropriate and ethical, but perhaps gets the witness a little more in line with what the witness had been saying before is extremely stressful. I can tell you I've spent several sleepless nights at trials in those kinds of circumstances. And similarly, when you're preparing whatever it is, demonstrative exhibits, preparing to do a difficult cross-examination where there are a lot of variables, it can be very stressful. And, and certainly preparing for an oral argument where judges or, or, or nine justices can ask you anything and everything that they think of can be extremely stressful. I mean, one of the things I do, certainly for appellate arguments and even for trial arguments where possible, is I do move courts with my colleagues to try to get used to to doing the performance that I need to do to anticipate questions, to anticipate things that might go wrong. So for example, for a trial, if I have a big opening or closing, I almost always do one or more moot courts uh, where I do the opening or closing and anticipate interruptions or possible questions from the bench or even in a jury trial, uh, possible interruptions from the jury. And, and likewise, for appellate arguments, I do a sort of more traditional moot court. But but those are all pretty stressful situations. And learning how to cope with that stress is very important. Well, let's talk about some of the unhealthy ways that people often rely on to help them cope with stress. And I'm thinking of things like, you know, unhealthy eating, like eating a lot of sugar, carbs, turning to alcohol, drugs, or sex. There seems to be like a range, right? So it can range from, you know, an occasional unhealthy habits to something more serious like depression or addiction. So Deborah, I wonder if you could tell us, so, you know, we're all, I think everyone may have some unhealthy habit or maybe they're more on the serious range of things, but how do you know when you should seek help from a medical professional? 
So essentially the line is when things are starting to interfere with your daily life and your daily relationships, that is when it is a problem. And that is when things have crossed over into being a problem. So officially you're kind of crossing into alcohol use disorder territory if you are drinking in hazardous situations, if the alcohol is affecting your social or interpersonal life, if you're needing more and more alcohol to get the same effect, if you're craving alcohol, you feel you have no control, if you're using a lot of time obtaining alcohol, using the alcohol, recovering from alcohol, are you missing activities? Are you missing things because of this? All of those would be features of an alcohol use disorder. Now, this is very, very different from people who maybe just have a glass of wine with dinner or they're going out with their friends and, you know, having a drink. Okay. You know, that's fine. But where we get worried is when things are really starting to cross the line and interfere with relationships. And I would say with food or sugar or unhealthy eating, okay, sure. Enjoy dessert. We all love dessert. It's great. But you know, are you starting to have medical problems from all of this unhealthy eating? Again, that's when you're crossing the line where we're actually starting to see either physical or psychological consequences of a particular behavior. And I think people often, you know, have the same question with respect to, you know, like an addictive behavior. Is, is there the same sort of line, you know, how do you know when you have an addiction to something like alcohol and you need to to seek, you know, treatment for that addiction. Yeah. Is it interfering with your life? Are you with your kids less cause of it? Is this damaging your relationship with your kids? Is this affecting your job performance? Those are all problematic. Those are all indications that this behavior is problematic and you absolutely need to seek help. If I see somebody and I talk about alcohol and they say, oh, it's not much, you know, I'll ask about their job and, you know, then I'll check some blood work and see how their liver enzymes are doing. And maybe they're not feeling any problems, but they're starting to have abnormal liver enzymes. And, you know, then I'll talk to them about it and say, you know, hey, I think it's time to really, really think about cutting back or quitting. And I think once people sometimes see that and they see that there's damages to their life that are potentially even irreversible, they, they will start to want to change their behavior. Got it. And so presuming that someone is dealing with a coping mechanism that's just an occasional healthy habit. So we're not talking about, well, you know, some of the, you know, very extreme addictive behaviors. So I wanted to sort of pick your brain on what are the, some concrete ways that we can start to change those habits? So I'll admit, you know, when I'm stressed out, there's nothing better than, you know, going to the store for, you know, a bag of Doritos and maybe a can of Coke during some times of extreme stress. So help me out, help out the audience here, Deborah. What can we do differently to help change these habits? Because I think, you know, all of us know you're not supposed to do that, right? You're supposed to eat healthy. There's a lot of health reasons. And as Larry said, there are some professional reasons to eat healthy as well. But what are some ways to help me and help the audience change a bad habit, a potentially unhealthy habit to something good to help us eat better, for example? 
Sure. So I would say you want to probably take things in incremental, manageable steps that you can that you can realistically do. So you definitely want to set realistic goals for yourself. And again, I think we're saying once in a while, go have a soda, have dessert sometimes. Someone's having a party. You know, that that's fine. But the issue is, right, when we're saying it's so much that it's becoming harmful for your health. So what do you do? Um, decide what's reasonable. What, what can you realistically do? And make small steps. It is not realistic. If you're having, you know, junk food three times a day to just say starting forever, it's going to be zero. So say, you know what? Starting tomorrow, instead of having Coke, I'm going to just drink water. And then maybe I'll still have my snack, but I'm going to have water. You can make that change. Starting, you know, maybe the following week, instead of seven days a week having this, maybe three days a week, I'll have that. And four days a week, I'll have a piece of fruit. So do it in steps you can do. The other thing that's helpful is definitely keep healthy food easy at the ready and accessible and healthy food that you like. You know, there's so much these days. So just have some fruits or vegetables at your home that you will actually eat. And then instead of having to go out and get stuff, you'll you'll have stuff that you want. Instead of going out and eating or smoking, just go out and go for a walk or pick up the phone and call a friend. Have other things that you can do instead of doing this habit that you're trying to step away from somewhat. So have alternatives in place that you can get to pretty quickly, but be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself that you can do things in somewhat of a gradual, manageable way. And you want to probably do this right when you're in the middle of trial is maybe not going to be the time. You can maybe make some small changes, but pick a time when things are relatively, maybe a little more stable, that it's realistic that you can make changes that you'll set yourself up to actually be successful and not set yourself up to fail. Well, two things you said I, th- I think are really important for me to hear and for our audience to hear, which is, you know, to be kind to yourself and to be realistic. Because I think, you know, one of the things that I do, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, you know, I try to take on too much. You know, I, I go through a period where, okay, I'm really going to focus on a diet. I'm really going to focus on working out. And then perhaps that works for a little while. And then, you know, I fall off because I get busy. You know, I'm in, in trial or I'm doing a, a big document review and production. Um, and so I just, I fall out of that habit. And I think just taking little baby steps, especially during those times of stress, is really helpful. Does that sound about right, Deborah? That sounds perfect. Yes, that is absolutely correct. And yeah, because you want to just help yourself calm down. It's also good to have things that you can do during particularly stressful times that are calming for you. You know, there's so much on the internet. There's so much mindfulness we can do. There's relaxation exercises. There's relaxation techniques. There's exercise. Like there's a lot we can do to help calm ourselves down that are healthy things we can do. So that's going to be really important. And I think just not, you know, think about, I think sometimes the way we treat ourselves, we can be so much more unkind to ourselves than we ever would be to anyone else. And so think about that. What message are you sending yourself? Like, I'm a disaster. I can't believe I did this. I'm horrible for doing this. I really need to do better. You, You wouldn't speak to someone else that way. Don't speak to yourself that way. Just say to yourself, you know what? Once this is done, I think I'll make this change and then I'll make that change. And maybe it was a day when I did a small incremental change that was great. Good for me. I did a good job on this. So let's try to remember to be kind to ourselves. 
that's really great advice. And Larry, I wanted to bring you back into the conversation, you know, as a trial lawyer, as a litigator, um, I'm sure you have a lot of tips to give us. And what are some of the things you have in sort of your bag of tricks to, to make yourself feel better when you're feeling very stressed out? I think there are a lot of things you can do. One of those is I like to take walks. You know, you don't have to do it for a very long time. You know, if you are preparing for trial and you're really stressed out, something I find very helpful is just to take a walk around the block or or two times around the block for five or 10 minutes. It can help you clear your head. You get a little exercise. You get a little mindfulness. You know, don't just focus on the case, but maybe look around at the trees and, you know, see what's going on outside. I think that's a very big help. I think secondly, you know, taking a break and talking to somebody else about something that isn't work, even if it's just for five minutes. Sometimes I'll call Dr. Topol and talk to her about some things going on, and that can help relax me. Or, or talking to a colleague about, you know, your football team or, or something that isn't work-related for a few minutes can also be helpful. And then even, you know, when you're going through trial or preparing for an argument, trying to do little things that are maybe a little healthier, trying to get, you know, rest sort of at a, at a, at a normal schedule, maybe not stay up that extra hour memorizing things you probably don't need to memorize for an argument, but getting an extra hour of sleep, uh, just trying to, to make your body prepared for whatever you're, you're doing, but not as overstressed as it can be. So I think there are a lot of those things you can do. Now, it's also sometimes fun to scream at your colleagues in German, but I find that that usually is not <laughs> terribly productive. Uh, it does sometimes make you feel better, though. <laughs> well, you know, w- one of the things that you said that really resonated with me, Larry, is taking a break and, and talking to somebody else. Because I, I don't know about you and I, I don't know about you know others in the audience, but sometimes I feel like being a lawyer, no matter what size firm you're in, can be a very lonely job because somebody has tasked you with figuring out a problem for them. And even if you have, you know, a bunch of associates or, you know, a bunch of partners, support staff and the like, really the problem and the solution has to rest with you. Um, And so I think, you know, sometimes I feel, you know, like maybe I'm the only person in the universe, you know, feeling alone in that situation. So I wonder if you could just explain, you know, as a litigator, you know, how does having a support system help you deal with stress? It really helps. And it's a support system. I think, you know, it helps to have a few levels. So I feel like I have colleagues at my firm, my partners, associates that I can talk to both about cases and and about things that aren't about cases, uh, sort of as a backstop. But I also have, you know, friends from law school, friends from growing up who happen to be lawyers and friends who are not lawyers. And sometimes I can talk to them about things that really, you know, are going on in my life or going on in my practice and they can give a fresh perspective. I mean, even it sounds corny, but even sometimes I talk to my parents about issues that are coming up and believe it or not, they'll sometimes have sort of an interesting and very different perspective on how to handle a difficult situation. So I think having a support network is very, very important and very helpful. I think when you feel alone, when you feel like there's nobody you can talk to, that's when some of these counterproductive behaviors become much more challenging and prevalent. And of course, if for some reason you don't have that kind of network, there are support groups available. There are lawyer assistance programs. There are support groups for all kinds of things, both online and otherwise, that you could reach out to if if you really need some support. 
And Deborah, I assume there is some medical basis to less stress if you have that support system that can help you through sort of life's problems. Well, absolutely, because then it's going to get you back to more of a state of calm. And that's what you really want to be going for is to um, be back in a state of kind of equilibrium and calm. And I think it's, it's also really important to have people around you who understand what you're going through. So I will do a monthly discussion with bioethics and the intensive care unit team of doctors, and we will meet with them and discuss their challenging situations. And it's incredibly challenging. And especially during COVID, patients were alone. They were in the ICU. They were sick. They were dying. They're talking to the family members on the phone. I mean, this was unbelievable stress. And so for these doctors to just speak with us and tell us, you know, this is what the experience is like and here's what it was going through. And we would talk to them about how they're managing it and give them very similar advice as we're saying right now, which is take time to care for yourself. Take time to, you can talk to each other about what you're going through so that you understand that you're not alone and you're not alone in feeling that what you're experiencing is incredibly challenging and incredibly difficult. And it very much helps people to understand and Also to have a time of reflection, because I think the other thing about these very busy, hectic lives that people lead is you just go from one crazy thing to another and we don't stop and we don't slow down and sort of take a pause and say, wow, this was a really difficult thing that happened. Let me just take a couple minutes and get my bearings and think about what this was that we just did or that I just did. And how am I feeling about this? It is so important to do that so that you can also sustain a career over a long time. Because that's part of the goal here is whatever your career is, and many careers have a lot of stress, you want to sustain this career over long periods of time. And if you're just going from one stressful challenge to another, it is going to make it much more likely for burnout to happen. And and you don't want that because you want to be able to have a prolonged successful career. Absolutely. And let's talk about how to cultivate that support system, especially, you know, a romantic relationship, family relationships. I mean, I'm very, you know, we're all very fortunate to have both of you for this interview. Um, So Larry, why don't we start with you and um, what are some tips that you might have to cultivate your family relationships to ensure that you actually stay married, keep your family uh, with you so you have that uh, support system over the long haul in the midst of a litigator's busy life? I think the most important thing is communication. I I think it's really, really important to communicate both with your spouse and with your children and make sure that it's it's a two-way street, that that you're telling them what's going on in your life, that you are listening to what's going on in their lives, and that that if you have a particularly stressful or intense period, everybody's aware of it. So, you know, Deborah and I talk a lot, and pretty much every day we talk about what we're doing the following day. Uh, And so we have a pretty good idea. And if it's going to be particularly stressful or if we're going to be unavailable for a bunch of the day, then then we like to know that, you know, some idea when we might be coming home back in the days when we worked in the office or available to do stuff as a family at night, just really have that communication. And, And I do that with my children as well, really try to find out what they're going through, what they're, they're doing during their days. So I think that's I think that's the most important. But I also think, secondly, 
it's important to be a little generous with what little time you have, you know, to try to make time to spend time with your spouse and with your children, to be able to even just, you know, sit and talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes or play with them or do some game with them or just listen to them talk about some issue that they've got going on at school or their lives or for Deborah at the hospital and really carve out a little bit of time. Maybe not every day if, if you're totally stressed and crazed, but whenever you have a little bit of time, make sure to do that and make sure that they know that you really care about them and that you really are, are spending time with them and that you're really concerned about what's going on with them. I think those are both very, very important to cultivating both your marriage and your relationship with your children. And, and by extension, to some extent with your friends. I mean, maybe it's not every day, but trying to keep in touch with them and talk to them and find out what's going on with their lives, even if it's just sending a quick email or a Facebook post or a text uh, or getting on the phone and having a, a short conversation. Those are great tips. And Deborah, did you have any other tips you'd like to share with the audience in terms of you know, cultivating that support system, dealing with your own professional life, and then also having um, and dealing with a busy litigator as your partner? Yeah, I mean, I would say a couple of things. First, I think it is very important. We, you know, we talked about kindness before to ourselves, and I think we also need to be sure to um, extend that kindness to our to our spouse and our kids. I think sometimes there may be a tendency to take the people close to us for granted. We know they're here. We know they'll be here the next day. They'll be here when we get home. But you know, let's treat them as kind as we treat those others around us. And so that's really important, even in the midst of times of stress. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, it's important to be kind and patient when our spouse is going through a particularly stressful time. So I think sometimes giving them a little bit of room and then if we're responding to their stress, we think about we can't control their actual stress response or that they're living in this prolonged sustained stress for whatever this trial period is or whatever they're working on, but recognizing that what we can control is our response and our response to our partner's stress. So if we respond to that with our own stress, then everything just escalates and can completely spiral out of control. But if we're able to respond to their stress by turning down the temperature, by staying calm, by just being reassuring, it will kind of settle things down. And then that in turn will actually sometimes settle down our partner's stress. And so we can be a little bit part of a, of a positive feedback loop here instead of just making things worse. So I think that that's something to kind of keep in mind as well. Great. Well, I think we're about at the end of the time that we have, and I wanted to ask you for uh, some last thoughts. Um, but I wanted to remind folks that if they were interested in purchasing the Trial Lawyer's Guide to Success and Happiness, please go to ambar.org slash litigation and click on that publications tag where you can find more information about the books sold by the section. And don't forget that members of the litigation section save 20% on all section published books, which of course includes the Trial Lawyer's Guide to success and happiness. So Larry, do you have any final thoughts for our audience on uh, mental health and stress? Just that this is something that you can really work at. And, and again, as we've said, you don't have to take it all at once. Take little steps, improve things a little bit, you know, each week or each month, and you can find yourself in a much better situation a year or two down the road. And definitely reach out reach out to your family, to your friends, to support groups, to whomever. 
uh, because there's a lot of people going through the same things you are. I think people, as we talked about before, often feel like they're alone. They're not only not alone, but there are, are plenty of other people, both in the legal profession and elsewhere, going through the exact same things you are. So reach out, take things a little bit of a, at a time, and try to have a little bit of optimism. Things can get better with a little bit of effort and a little bit of time and work, and you can definitely put yourself in a better place if you're having problems. So do that and enjoy your life. Thanks, Larry. And uh, Deborah, any, any last thoughts? Uh, last thoughts is take time to breathe, take time to make small incremental changes that you can do. And another thing that can be helpful, I heard this approach, is you can either take a zoom in or a zoom out approach. So you can just zoom in, here's what I'm going to accomplish today. And that's it. Zoom out, you know what, over the 10-year plan, this trial I'm in now, it's going to be done. It's going to be over. Where sometimes we get into trouble when we're in the thinking about everything in the next two weeks or the next couple months. And that can put us in a little bit of an unbearable state. So sometimes we need to change our thoughts to focusing on a more manageable piece of time that we can handle. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for uh, joining the show today. I know I got a lot out of this. Um, I'm sure the audience did as well. So thank you so much uh, for being on. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Yes, thank you. This was a pleasure. And now it's time for our quick tip from the ABA litigation section. So let's welcome back to the show, Daryl Wilson. Daryl is an in-house litigator managing global litigation and investigations at Tyson Foods, Inc. in Springdale, Arkansas. It's great to see you again, Daryl. How's it going? Great to see you as well, Dave. It's going pretty good. I can't complain. Awesome. Well, give us your quick tip for today. Yeah, thanks. Today, we will be discussing best practices for practicing during a pandemic. Uh, I think as the Delta variant is is making its rise here in the United States, I think it's kind of important to circle back on this issue. Uh, and roughly, I guess I would say March of 2020, you know, most of us were sent home with no real guidance as to how long we would be at home as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, those days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months, a year. And, and now, you know, some people are even still at home with no real input on to when they would return to the office. And some are actually back in the office with a kind of a hybrid remote schedule. So I want to provide some tips for maintaining your mental health in a pandemic. As first that I would have, you know, is to take ownership of your time. Often, once we were working in the pandemic, a lot of people spent more time at their computers because they cut down their commute to the office. And so they would arise in the morning and get to their computer and start their workday and pretty much work all the way into the night because they never had an opportunity to get up or didn't have to get to a stopping point with their work and travel home. So because of that, I want to allow people to know that you have to take ownership of your time and that you also have to create some start and stop times while you're home working remotely. And additional things that you should consider when you're taking ownership of your time is kind of the number of Zoom meetings that you may get involved in. Uh, as we've been in the pandemic for about a year, uh, a lot of people are experiencing Zoom fatigue, and, and that's just pretty much having countless back-to-back-to-back Zooms. A tip that I want to offer is that you may take some time to schedule your Zooms in a way that allows you to take ownership of your calendar, allows you to kind of set that time of when you will be in Zooms and when you'll not be in Zoom meetings if you can 
uh, help that. I know there are some instances where you can't help when you're set in Zooms, but if you can, try to take that ownership. And if someone sends out a calendar invite that allows some flexibility in the availability, take advantage of that and allow yourself to maybe potentially only set Zoom meetings for certain days of the week uh, or during certain hours so that you can get that time to make sure that you're staying in a good, sound mental state. As I mentioned with the work hours, I know for me, once I got into the pandemic, there was a lot of, you know, waking up. And as soon as I woke up and, you know, got myself situated and was at the computer, I started to work and I worked and worked and worked even past our typical what may be a 5, 5.30 p.m. stop time for some, I just found myself working further and further. Uh, sometimes when you're in the office, you can look towards the end of the workday and find that stopping point. But when I was at home, I didn't really look for that stopping point because I didn't have to leave. I didn't have to commute, didn't have to sit in traffic. But what I would say is to kind of maintain your mental health is to actually, when you're working remotely, to treat it just as the workday as if you were in the office and make sure that you do set those times that you will work throughout the day. Some people have families and so you want to make sure you set aside the time to spend with your family and not be plugged into your work computer working tirelessly throughout the day that may essentially kind of bog you down and kind of play on your mental health. The next thing that I would say is have an open line of communication. Be communicative with your team to make sure that everybody knows what you're doing and when the times that you may want to be in meetings or schedule calls. As we have our secretaries or legal assistants, paralegals, you try to make sure that you are working with them to let them know what you would like your schedule to look like. If you are an associate in a law firm working for a partner, you want to make sure that you have that open line of communication with your partner so that the partner isn't you know, looking to see what are you doing or questioning what are you doing throughout the day because there isn't that face time within the office. You want to make sure that there is an opportunity to have that relationship with whoever you're working with so that they will know, you know, what you're doing at that time. And that will kind of ease some of the stresses that may be from individuals, quote unquote, micromanaging you to just to make sure that you are on task throughout the day. Uh, if you Keep that open line of communication. I can assure you that that micromanaging will likely go away because there's that established trust with the partners that you're working for and then also kind of with your secretaries or legal assistants. The next thing that I would say is use blackout periods. Set some time aside on your calendar that is a blackout period. I know that we're not in the office space and people can't come down the hall and kind of stick their head in your office and ask questions. Establish that because oftentimes it, when we're in the pandemic, there will be the the Zoom meetings that are set up just to ask questions or there'll be that messenger chat that comes over with a question. But if you allow yourself that blackout time to get your work done, I would say that during this time you set in, lock in, do the work, but also make sure that there are no distractions to your work to make sure that your work actually gets done. And in there you can avoid the calls, the emails, the meetings, just to make sure that you are getting your work done and turning over a good work product. The next thing that I would say is to just as you would in the office, make sure you take your breaks. Take those mental breaks to kind of decompress from the work. Make sure you take a lunch break. Step away from your at-home workstation and eat your lunch. Or if you're at home, take a walk around the neighborhood or go for a light jog to make sure that you're kind of staying active during the time and not just necessarily staying sedentary throughout the workday. 
getting out into fresh air will allow your mind to reset and recharge and you can continue throughout the day. That takes me to the next one is that even in this pandemic, you will want to get in some exercise because your brain functions better when it has that proper level of exercise as opposed to just kind of being sedentary or, or watching TV all the time. It just kind of staying stagnant and not getting that exercise in. You want to still be your best self, even in the pandemic, as you would be if you were reporting to the office every day. And lastly, another thing that I want to say is even inside of the pandemic, I know at sometimes when we were kind of shut down, if you will, and there was not opportunities for vacations. I know that's kind of changed here recently as uh, kind of flights and scheduling for vacations have kind of opened up and you are able to take some vacations. But just in case we find ourselves back in a pandemic or a shutdown because of the Delta variant, make sure you actually schedule some time as a vacation that may mean, you know, being at home and actually not going on a physical vacation, but actually taking that vacation away from your job. Uh, we do have that vacation time that's set in and you want to make sure that you take advantage of it. Uh, use that time to spend it with family, friends or whatever to kind of decompress from work so that you're not continuously bogged down and that you have that opportunity to recharge and reset to continue to make sure that you provide the best work product that you possibly can and to be the best advocate for your client. So, in closing, I just say in the pandemic to make sure that you keep your mental health in check, just be resilient. We are a great group of people, great group of litigators and great group of young lawyers. And I just say that be resilient in your work. So just show up even virtually and just be the best that you can be and be great. And I think that it will allow you to make sure that your mental health is in check and, and that it's maintained as we go through this pandemic. So, Dave, I thank you for having me on the show. And this has been my legal tip for today. Well, those were great tips, Daryl. You know, certainly I think what we've learned throughout the past you know, year and a half is to be comfortable with uncertainty. And certainly your tips gave us some great practical advice on how to make sure we keep care of our mental health. So thank you so much. No problem. And just as a reminder, you know, um, Daryl gave us a lot of tips and you've heard a lot of tips throughout the show from Larry and Dr. Deborah. You know, certainly just think about, you know, what one thing do you want to take away from this episode and what one thing do you want to start to improve your life, to improve your mental health? So thanks so much for uh, joining the show today. Um, and I did want to thank especially uh, Michelle Oberts, who's on staff at the litigation section and helped me with guest preparation and booking. Uh, the show was produced fabulously, as always, by Rich Rivera. Thanks so much for your work, Rich. And my gratitude goes out to the co-chairs of the litigation section's audio content committee, Josh Jones and Tyler True. Thank you to Lawrence Coletti and our audio professionals from Legal Talk Network. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.